We're back! We're back! It's a distraction of Drew! That's Roth! We're in the same fucking room, Roth! Not only are we in the same room, we're really physically quite close to each other. Yeah! Yeah, we could we could kiss. No. I could I could <laughs> I could put my hand ever so uh suggestively on your thigh. I think that would help me maintain focus. Let's we don't need to uh, you want to tell everybody why we're in the same place, how we're in the same place, who we're in the same place? We with? have intern week at Defector, so we're having our uh, one of our semi-annual, or is it biannual? Biannual will be every two years. Is that correct? Uh, semi-annual. Yeah. Like the Victoria's Secret semi-annual Right, sale. so this is our fashion show. Right. And- all right, so then uh, we all uh, got together uh, to brainstorm ideas. We had something called a Defector Shark Tank for like business ideas to expand the business. And it's great. Like we finally, my idea for a side mirror dimmer switch on a car is going to be realized by Defector, by Defector Motors. It's very, very exciting. Yeah. But we brought two staff members with us. So like the past few months of the podcast, really, really sharp, really tight, big name guests, stuff like that. Don't expect any of that. We're blowing way. it up. Yeah, yeah. This is gonna be a, a fucking absolute fucking pandemonium in the squared circle. We have Israel Daramola, returning champion. Yes, Uh-oh. that's right. And we have the legendary Dave McKenna, who already, I think, have you already had the espresso that was there? I'm, saying, I'm sipping it. I, but so I'm knee, so happy. Your knees are wobbling. That's just from looking at with excited yep. pleasure. Wait till like I down it. Like a schoolboy. If David's having mixed feelings about coming on the podcast for the first time, which he is now, the presence of an espresso machine outside and an expert pulling experience on it. He is. He looks like a child on Christmas Day right now. Like he's like basically one step short of clapping his hands with delight. What? What is? How many espressos? What is the most number of espressos you've had at a single I, time? You know, I, I have cut way back. I, yeah, yeah, I but I don't, care about, I don't oh. care about you being modest. I care about you being well, bad. I, well, I, I had this thing where I would, when 7-Eleven would have a special 99-cent cup or any size for 99-cent, I would go to the every 7-Eleven and hack the espresso machine. And so I would have, I have had three 24-ounces <laughs> Espressos in one day, just, just not three. Yeah, that, three big gulps. Because there used to be my my son had had in, during COVID the only outing they'd have is a, a football practice in high school at near RFK Stadium, and there was this Seven Eleven that had one, and I would yeah. You know, so I, I had to kill time, kill the three hours, and so I'd kill three hours. <laughs> so you three killed yourself espresso. with coffee. three hours, getting your heart rate ounces. up to humming bird speeds, and then seeing if you could levitate briefly for. Don't knock it. How, does, definitely... a, how does a body feel on t- the 24 you know, ounces know, of that espresso? You know, it, it, uh, at three in the morning, I'll tell you, you know, <laughs> when you're thinking horrendous thoughts and going, why the hell can't I sleep? And then you remember the third 24 ounce espresso. <laughs> Are you, um, were you one of the guys who like, like thought they were immune to caffeine? Like, no. oh, God, no, no, no. Like, you know, like, Here, the, you're, like, you're like the weed 19... guy who's like, I, I tried it, but I didn't feel anything. I didn't drink coffee as a kid. And like, I think that's a new thing. Like now every ADD kid, they push coffee on them at a young age. <laughs> uh, but in my generation, there was a geezer drink. And I didn't. Uh, it was almost like. It, the like kids, kids drink was alcohol. Kids, <laughs> yeah. Also, like kids, like, I remember when I was a kid, it was like inappropriate. For a kid to drink coffee, it was. and like yeah. meanwhile, I would get a fucking six pack of Coke with my Domino's pizza, and I would drink the entire fucking six pack. Oh boy! In one sitting. Wait, what? Like, because I was I was like a thirteen year old fat kid. I was like, oh my god, seventy two ounces of that sweet, sweet goo. That's, that's what made coffee cool. Was like it was an adult drink, so you could be an adult just by drinking coffee before school. 
Yes. And now there's no such thing as adults look, and kids anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, so. the distinction is completely broken Yeah, because all the, all the adults are like, I like Iron Man. So it's like- this, Yeah, and all no... the kids are on Vyvanse. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my, uh, I noticed um, like my kids like going to Starbucks. In the beginning, it was for the food, which is hilarious. A child would be the only person who would go to Starbucks for oh, yeah. the fucking food. No other sane person would do that. It's really a panino tech But to then me. you're like, the... yeah, I'd be standing in line with like, serious coffee people like who you know they're gonna have an order like that they have to like print out on a fucking yeah sheet. like a pervert's order like a laminated <laughs> card that you yeah, slide yeah, across like, the counter yeah like somebody. a whole like yeah like the whole like Jim Nance burnt toast thing <laughs> and I understand there were some kids who just want some fucking cake pops and they're like and like you get to the cashier and they're like they're shocked that you don't you're not actually gonna order a coffee they're, they're like and anything else like are you? Sh- you know you, these are bad. Right? Yeah, you, you came for a fucking <laughs> croissant that's been in our display case for two goddamn weeks. You're gonna have that, Israel. How much coffee have you had in a single? Yeah, let's city? go. Let's go. Around could the it room. be? Could it be anywhere near as lethal as what McKenna has done to himself? Even though McKenna is alive right now. So I'm actually not a big coffee person. I'm out of here. This is <laughs> wow. This is probably. This is gonna sound insane when I say this out loud, but I don't like. Being too awake. No, actually, that, that 100% actually sounds great. Sense to me. Like yeah. I like being just a little bit about to to pass out or about to fall asleep. You know what? I find I, that I have it, a gummy in my pocket that will do just that. <laughs> well, for you right now, you're gonna have a weed conversation later. But <laughs> I just find that you, as someone who doesn't always uh, is not always receptive to the conversation, um, I'm very quiet. I'll quiet the entire ride up here. You know, I, I tend to be a very reserved person, so I find that um, people don't bother you when they think you're about to <laughs> fall asleep. Fall asleep <laughs> that's really. a, dude, like that's it's a rude. good trick. I like. <laughs> like I actually do think. I actually think. Like I always wonder, like if people from my old high school, they probably think I'm like this huge stoner or something because I would just walk around tired all the time and like on the verge of. You know, when you're like sleepy and like nothing. You can't, people just you communicate with you and you can't really. Right, you're not like rising to the yeah, stimulus yeah, of yeah, a conversation. Yeah, I, I, like, I've watched Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. was a real, that was a high school thing for me too. Not, I think because of like a, either like a social anxiety thing or any of that. It was yeah, just yeah. like, that was the only bit of agency that I like felt like I had at that age was like, I can stay up late. And I remember I'd stay up on Sunday nights and watch Siskel and Ebert. And I would eat a thing of the real thin uh, pretzel sticks, the Bachman brand, high quality product. Wow. Look yeah. Ding. That's paid advert. That's actually free advertising for them. And then I would just like watch them and that would, you know, and I'd go to bed at like one in the morning. I had to be at school at like 745 the next day. So I was like coming by that honestly. Yeah. And yet at the same time, the idea of me being like, I'm burning the candle at both ends. Like I had to stay up to see what they thought of species two last night. It's like kind of an embarrassing thing. Well, but... I mean, I used to do stuff like that too, but it's, and not to turn this into drug talk or anything, but no, I mean, find... why are we here? I mean, come on. <laughs> I find that the downers are better high than a upper because like that, that feeling of being like jacked up is like, is actually not, fun no it's never never been for me either because it's just energy and it's like almost giving you you know me me and kelsey talked about how like my fantasy is to to write a blog about how we need to get back to trying to be cool again to like aspiring to be cool instead of like letting the nerds take over everything yeah because everyone everyone loves to brag about being oh so uncool Yeah, yeah yeah and i think that part of 
coolness was like you actually thought about and you know we're going to talk about the idol later and this is a whole diatribe that's going to be part of it it's like you actually thought about how you wanted to be presented to the world yeah. and i find that when i'm jacked up that like gives me more opportunity to sound stupid and to be <laughs> <Yeah>. an idiot <laughs> and like as long as i give myself less ways to to invite that energy i i enjoy that so you're, like, you're not like aloofness you're, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. sort of guy you're not sort of guy who's like who does a, a line of cocaine and then is like i could build a piano that'd be fucking great i could do it right now and that's why i don't do it yeah. yes because i don't want to be that kind have of you guy. always been relatively introverted your whole life yeah, yeah i was super introverted i think um were you ever self-conscious about it uh, I became so conscious about it. Are you self-conscious about was, it right now? No, no, no. <laughs> well, well, oh, okay. Was it was like other we're kids would be like, here, yeah, podcast studio, right, right, right. With, with our knees like touching as we like, sit in a small square. It's like, when kids at school make you self-conscious about it? And it was stuff actually like that. my family that made me self-conscious about oh, okay. it. Okay, uh, because um, I was a very hyper kid. One of those, you know, one of those like kids who was just like energetic all the time. Uh, I later found out it was undiagnosed ADHD, but, you know, I was one of those types of kids. I was jacked up all the time, embarrassed myself all the time, but I didn't care. And what made me care was almost the reactions to people, because I'm also a very highly sensitive kid. And, you know, I don't think my parents knew what to do with that, because they're not particularly the sensitive people. So it was just a lot of, like, negative reinforcement. To make me feel like, okay, expressing myself this way is not getting me the desired results from anyone. Not from my peers, not from my parents, not from, you know, the church that I went to. So it was just, you know, over time, years of just being much more withdrawn and withdrawn and withdrawn. And there's other stuff too, but... Well, also, I assume discovering writing was like... Oh, I can express myself, but I don't have to have the pressure of being, uh, you know, to sort of perform for people or anything like that. You can tell me if I'm wrong. You know, I thought we would do this when I when my book came out, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think uh, it was actually drawing first. I was a I was a big like uh, I started a comic when I was a little kid, like one of those like newspaper kind of comics. Cause I was really into like Garfield and Kelvin Hobbs. So oh, I, started, I read Garfield too. Yeah. Yeah. So I started my own uh, comic and I was like draw and terribly and write these little goofy stories. And then it became writing as a, uh, over time because uh, I wanted to write stories and I wanted to write uh, scripts at a young age and I didn't feel very good at it, but I could like uh, almost like write little articles like the stuff I was reading in magazines at the time because I read a lot of my dad's uh GQ magazines so um yeah that's uh, just so it it went from making comics to writing um after a while McKenna did you start out wanting to do because you're a musician people should know that did you start out uh did you start out being more interested in being a musician than a writer or was it the other way around oh, or can i am you not, not a remember? musician i own a lot of guitars i play guitar more than anyone i know that sounds and I like am a nowhere musician. near a musician. how do you amplify okay, but, those guitars because if do you, you mind play, to... if, if you guys have been in bands you'll you know what a musician like a guy who has the gift no fucking way i have, do not have the have gift. you ever I've been tried paid to play music somewhere 
paid to play. I, no. I took lessons in 1986 for about four weeks. <laughs> hey, that's just like me. Yeah. Wow. And, um, but no, I, I, I didn't uh, – no. All right. How well, then you, this I, conversation – Well, but I'm curious like because if we're going to do this, like we're – as Israel said, we're all friends here. Like how did you get into writing? Like what led you in that direction? Okay. So I feel like Drew and I have I been over a, this enough. Like people that I, listen know, but maybe they well, don't. I had this. I had anxiety similar to Israel, and 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 he dealt with them by having a comic strip. I dealt with them by uh, getting all fucked up and getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a fucked one, up on espresso. Yeah, I had seven a years old and drinking grade so average and four suspensions in high school and wasn't going to go to college. So I hit the road after while my friends went to college. I went driving around the country with a buddy of mine who was similarly ambitious. You were such a boomer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, we ended up like in the middle of nowhere. Being able to do any of this is kind of like, oh, really? So just <laughs> I was living out of dollar motels and <laughs> touring America. Yes, we, were, we ended up living in a garage in Midland, Texas in the 80s. And, and our excuse to people was, we're going to go get a job in the oil fields. Which everyone was doing in yeah. the early eighties. What, what fun that would be! It was, well, it was booming. No, it was yeah, it's it good was money it was too, dream but... it was dream money. Yes. Oh, because they were going to pay you like fifty bucks an hour or some insane. Oh yeah, it, literally like forty five dollars really an hour story... in nineteen eighty. Yeah. I hope this story ends though with you being like, "That seems hard," and just hanging out in the garage no, and drinking beers. Not even that. Not <laughs> even that. We we discovered Coors beer because that, <laughs> that was only sold west of the Mississippi at the time, I and mean, you know the whole movies were made. I think uh, I think Smokey and the or Cannonball Runner. Well, no, Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit was about to, uh, bootlegging Coors beer across the uh, the other side of the Mississippi. And so when we get to Texas and we see they have 16-ounce Coors cans with their own shotgun top, which you got to look up. If you're old and a geezer, you'll understand. Wait, like, explain it. The, the, the beer cans back in the rip-top days, the, the Coors came with a shotgun top that was a little punctured, like a punctured hole that you would punch to make it chuggable to to make it oh so you'd have to get like the like the other side of the can opener like the pointy side of the can opener and you'd have to do it like a can you know, of you fucking pineapple juice you could do it with your shit. finger but yeah it was it was like the, it was the air shotgun. pressure it was release a shotgun. valve to yes. make it easier for you to it was chug. physics yeah <laughs> oh, oh 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 so <laughs> is that what led you to on, Texas Tech your it's at the top yeah you know where the, the rip tab trip top the was. pull tab it was at the other it was at the end it was beneath the top of the pull tab thing like so it like. There was a little beep, like I don't, you know, large pellet size hole, like that, and and that's all you need to to chug. I remembered like kids would do that in college. They would like take a fucking knife yeah. and stab Shotgun the a beer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So this was that. That's what kept you from seeking your fortune in the oil fields. Was that you were like, I can get drunk. Well, so I don't fast. think we ever really met. We weren't ambitious. Well, no, you know, yeah. again, this was still the one point eight guy with four suspensions. You know, it was three months removed. So, uh, I we just we discovered minor league baseball, the Midland Cubs. And which was a total revelation, you know, that I didn't know about minor league baseball. And they would pass around a hat after home runs. It was a Chicago Cubs affiliate. Minor league baseball was incredibly cool then. And they'd have 25 cent beer nights in Midland Stadium. It, it was and it was all I had only been to D.C. and New York. I'd spend my summers in Astoria and the rest of my life in Falls Church, Virginia. 
And uh, so this was a complete West Texas was a compl- it was Mars to me, and I loved it. Mars with Coors Tall Boys. And you didn't have to work. Yeah, everything was so cheap. I had no. I, yeah, I didn't have to work. I had saved. I well, I you know, you I had, I had ended Dylan up having Panthers to work on Friday night. Yeah, I was going to say this is. <laughs> I had delivered the <laughs> There's Washington explosions Post. in the sky songs playing faintly behind you every time you step up the street. And then you got to Lubbock, and you really discovered how much you love Texas. So <laughs> well, that... and I, I had I had been in the paper, Washington Post paper boy for six years at that point. I, I had. It didn't occur to me then, but I guarantee that's a record. Your paper boy's a one-year job when you're in. Basically a paper man from 11 to 17. (laughs) 11 to 17, I kept that job. Anyway, so I I brought whatever, you know, my, well, to get real deep, my father had died when I was in high school. I, and so I had took my paper out money, hit the road. And uh, I ended up just spending it on quarter beers and 16 ounce, uh, Quarter beers at Midland Cup Stadium and, and 16-ounce uh, Coors Tall Boys with my buddy Mike. And uh, we had filled the garage. We made a wall of Coors Tall Boys. He went home to become a Secret Service agent. <laughs> had a career. He's retired <laughs> now. Does. He's, he's retired as a Secret Service agent. And uh, um, and I – then my friends were – all of us were in – all my buddies were in college. And I go, ah, fuck. You know, eventually I got to do it. Went to – was in Midland. I went up to Lubbock, Texas. And Texas Tech took me on probation with my 1.8. Uh, GPA, and uh, I stayed for four years. I went to Texas Tech University. Had a blast knowing I was going to leave town the day of my last exam, <laughs> uh, but enjoying the crap out of it. Uh, you know, Lubbock, I, 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 it is a hellhole. It is the ugliest place on earth, but God damn, I had so much fun there. And, and it has its uh, music and food and attitude are, are, are so different than anywhere else. So, uh, Speaking of the Secret Service, gentlemen, Donald yes, Trump was indicted oh, last wow, week. Wow. wow. And Transition. the indictment <laughs> include a photo of not one, but many boxes of classified shit stored in various places of, in Mar-a-Lago, including the bathroom. I do want to get to the bathroom Enough for a second. Enough boxes that we're compelled to remark gentlemen, on how what many is, there were. What is the most important thing you've ever stored in a bathroom, either on purpose or surreptitiously? Dave. Uh, well, before we go on, like it's not getting enough play, but among those boxes, there is a Gibson guitar case. I wanted to ask you about that very guitar case. I want to ask him about that very guitar case. I want to ask you, Trump. Is, do you could jam? Trump be cool? There's could no Trump way, be cool? There's no way that he would play a guitar. It was yeah, like he doesn't know how to play. It I, was no, given I, to him yeah. by like Joe Satriani, and he's like, "Wonderful, thank you so much, Jimmy Page." And then he just put it in the toilet you know, area. I, I, my theory is that he was given it by the Gibson lobbying office. Gibson Guitars has a lobbying office in K Street, and I that's what my they, theory. What are they lobbying for? Well, they had gotten a lot of trouble for importing uh, uh, rare woods from Brazil. They got really? they, yes, they wow. got raided. Their offices were raided and everything. And Did I, they store the Brazilian wood in the bathroom? Maybe it's full of Brazilian wood in Trump's keeping. He's <laughs> probably got a bootleg, you know, Les Paul. I like but, the idea of them spending a million dollars to keep whammy bars from being made illegal. But that, that you know, that's that's going to come out. What what what's the story behind this guitar? You know, that's uh, that's to me far more important than whether he showed Kid Rock uh, the plans to for a rat. A Just want to note that when I go to Rio, sometimes I get a little Brazilian wood. That's enough. <laughs> That's quite enough. <laughs> Please. Everyone oh, can see you. We're all pro- in the same room. Our producer, Eric, is giving us the thumbs, <laughs> the thumbs down. How what, much do you pay? You know what? I should read this because um, as, we're, as we're talking, uh, as we're – as we record this, it's the day that Trump was uh, formally arraigned, and there was a headline in the Washington Post that said, Republicans insist Trump's bathroom is secure, which is great. <laughs> if It's one of those things where, like, if you had been asleep for 30 years and you woke up, 
And <laughs> you would think that like he ate a taco salad and left a fucking right. Just an enormous. Definitely the idea there. of like a major national political figure. First of all, being Donald Trump, obviously that's a lot. But then the idea of it being a big issue where they're sort of like, it's actually a very good. It's not one of the. It's one of those ones where you push the little button and it locks it. But that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like it's, well, yeah, because I, I I'm gonna read the copy to you. Congressional Republicans have defended former President Donald Trump's handling of classified information with one pointing to the security of a Mar-a-Lago bathroom where documents have been stored. This is from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. A bathroom door locks, Kevin McCarthy said in defense of Trump. So check and mate, gentlemen. Name me another room that locks in a house. Wow. You can't. How long do I have? No, you can't. You can't do it. The photos are great in the sense that there's that kind of like uncanny Trumpy aesthetic that like, I feel like I've been struggling to describe it even, not define it, but like just adequately get words around it for seven years now. But there is, it's something, I, I think it's it's the chandelier over the toilet with a bunch of boxes of secret documents and then behind it just a shower curtain like from the store from like the bed <laughs> yeah. bath and beyond closing like thing where he's like everything's 50 percent off you know these are amazing savings <laughs> ah. and like that is so the combination of not like high and low but of like pretense and then just like oaf mode idiocy is really uh poetic a bathroom chandelier is a good bit though it's an incredible, incredible bit it takes it takes commitment i do like any any photo of Mar-a-Lago where, like, I never know if I'm going to see, like, a golden statue of a lion. Yeah. Somewhere. It's so good. It's really... Or just, like, everywhere there's just, like, a table with just a bunch of, sh- like, cocktail shrimp on it or whatever. Like, Ooh. there's just a lot of... Actually, it, actually it seems like, like the, the Jim and uh, Tammy Faye Baker collection. That's what they, they were. The... Yeah, kind of gilded. It's weird, like, that, like... Gaddafi is basically the style inspiration for all these guys. It is. Yeah. 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 They're like, they don't have, they know that they can't pull off the like apres ski dictator look that he had where he would just like, everything had epaulets on it and stuff. But they, that's like what they're aiming for. If they, if they could like really believe in themselves, that's what they would do. Uh, we got to take a break, but when we, uh, before we go, I just want to note, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Tan Man. Brooklyn's first cannabis dispensary and tanning salon. <laughs> One hit in your tanning bed and you'll be saying to yourself, hey man, why didn't I think of this shit? That's tan, man. Conveniently located right under the Gowanus Canal. We'll be right back. The Distraction is sponsored this week by Sunsoil, which is a certified organic, employee-owned CBD oil company from Vermont and a friend of Defector Media. I uh, have been down with Sunsoil, like everybody at the team, since they sponsored our very first unnamed temporary sports blog. But also, I'm a user of their products. I like their tincture. I put it under my tongue. I like their new gummies. I think they taste pretty good. Also, they uh, help me rest at night and then wake up not feeling uh, like a zombie or a melatonin casualty or whatever it is that you might feel like if you didn't take something that helped you sleep naturally and wake up feeling more or less like yourself which is what the products are meant to do. They help you relax, fall asleep, stay asleep. They grow all of their own hemp, and they make their CBD oil at the farm by naturally infusing that hemp in coconut oil, which involves minimal processing and better retains the whole plant benefits. Sunsoil's CBD gummies are vegan, gluten-free, and USDA-certified organic, which is the highest standard for quality and traceability. 
They don't contain any artificial sweeteners or unnecessary additives like food coloring. You can choose between flavors like berry, lemonade, and cinnamon. I can tell you I enjoyed a berry. Get 50% off your first purchase at sunsoil.com slash distraction with code distraction. That's sunsoil.com slash distraction with code distraction for 50% off your first purchase. And we're back coming to you live from the Multitude Studios in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. It's me, it's Roth, it's Israel Daramola, and it's Dave McKenna. Uh, while we were on the break, uh, McKenna, you actually did tell the origin story of how you, Dave McKenna, became a writer. Can you uh, repeat that yeah, to the audience? Yeah, I'm obviously a great was... storyteller because you asked me how I became a writer and I told you about Coors Beer and Midland, <laughs> Midland Cubs. Honestly, that was kind of oh, good. I feel like the, I learned a lot. Though. The nutshell version is on that trip with my 1.8 grade average and 405 out of 505 class rank and four suspensions, I wrote letters home while I was escaping my home. I wrote letters to all my friends who I missed dearly and, uh, and they would write because I had not a lot else to do besides the course beer and uh, they would write, you know, I got letters back saying, hey, that was funny. You know, and uh, Israel probably under you know got some positive feedback from his you know writing early. That's why he continued, and it was the first time I ever thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll do this. And I didn't have any plan. And when I I got into college, I did have a plan to graduate from college because I was falling behind. And I looked at the the catalog, and it said uh, if I I, the, I say the only book I studied in college was the, the college catalog, and and if if you had a, you had to have a major and a minor and an English degree with a a journalism degree with an English minor was four credits less than any other combo Ooh. because there was like two overlaps or something like that. No, that's a and good that, value. Yeah, and that's why yeah, and uh, it's the same. You brought the same mindset to getting a degree that you did to getting 24 ounces of espresso in one it's cup? It's totally true. Everything <laughs> and, my, and my 100 guitars are, are all, uh, you know, at cut rate, 30 cents on the dollar. Also. I do want to come back to politics for just a moment. I'm not going to stay too long, but it, it does intersect with sports because last week, uh, Israel, Stephen A. Smith tweeted out his support for Chris Christie's presidential campaign. Chris Christie's 2024 presidential campaign it's industry and leading with with a direct breaking. with a direct link to pledge to chris christie now he even went on fox news that week to say he'd vote for christie over biden now i have a theory here israel would you like to hear it of course okay stephen a smith is dumb as shit yeah no i know that's not what you're speaking but what i believe is that stephen a smith is stumbling for chris christie not because he likes him, because who likes Plenty Chris people Christie? Love Chris Christie, Steve Cohen, but to, specifically to fuck over Ron DeSantis. And I think Disney may have even put Stephen A. up to stumping oh, for wow. Christie to fuck over Ron DeSantis because they are at war with Ron DeSantis. Now, who says I'm wrong? Nobody. No, I, you, <laughs> I was going to say it's a question of who wants to go first. I love where your head is at. I don't think that's correct. Oh, okay, Israel. I, I. Don't think it's wrong, but I also think that there might be other things going on as well. So the week before last, I think like Stephen A. Smith sort of got called out for like because he had mentioned he'd had his Biden comments before on that show he does where he, like the not the one show where he yells, but the other show. Yeah, where he yells. I was say, like and, there's a lot of them now. Uh, I think people took it as like. You know how it like almost like uh 
not endorsing one guy becomes an endorsement of another guy. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, Stephen A. Smith was going after Biden's age and, like, saying he didn't want to vote for Biden again, people took that as, like, almost a, a backdoor endorsement of Ron DeSantis. And I do think that part of the Christie thing is, like, it, it could be what you're saying where it's, like, Disney does not want him to, or, like, needs his help uh, going away from DeSantis, but... More specifically, they do not want it to seem like he is supporting Ron DeSantis in any way. No, so. and he he has spoken out about Ron DeSantis saying he sucks, which is actually that's bold for Stephen A. Because I remember he it was this week he he did a thing about if I were president, and he was like it was very it was in very Stephen A. language like let me be clear, and then he would be like if you're a cop you're not killing anybody in my country, but also we're going <laughs> to respect the cops. So it was like he was very adamant. Speaking out of both sides of his mouth for a a solid 30 minutes. It's it's the succession thing of, like, if you just say things affirmatively and with, like, force, (laughs) you will make it happen. That's like the The, the Ken Leroy business school. Right. Like, somebody pointed out that that's, like, what the actual negotiations are like in that show. For as much as people are like, I love Kendall's intensity, but I also love his vision. Where, like, really, there is it's one person being like, if I said 10, would you say 11? And someone's like, we could do 12. And, like, that's what the actual doing of business is like for these yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah, I think with the thing to me about like Christie's campaign that I find not even just funniest. I mean, all of it's funny to me. I, I detest the man. Like you'd want to say that like New Jersey's brand could not get worse on a national <laughs> level. And yet like he's found new ways, like n- opened up new sub basements. <laughs> Absolutely debasing your poor home. Right. And it's tough too. Like we, I've done so much work. Like I've talked about all these sandwiches on this podcast. Everybody hates that I do it. But I, the thing with Christie that's funny to me though, is that like, so his campaign is the one that if you wanted to, because I think Israel's point about the idea of being like, if you are opposed to Biden, like that, that either Im- implies sympathies with Trump or DeSantis, both of which are for various reasons, like kind of toxic for a mainstream sports talk guy. Whereas Christie's thing, and it's a very funny gambit for him as a man with the record that he has to take is that he's like the respectable, reasonable choice. Like he's the <laughs> listener. He's the guy that like gets together in a room with people and is like, how do we work this problem? The motherfucker who it. shut down a beach, shut down a beach and then sat there with his family looking like a, a jellyfish <laughs> in a cowboy's Jersey. And the, one of the most embarrassing and widely loathed men in American politics is the guy that is like, the thinking person's alternative to either, like, I mean, there's, like, the two flavors of fascism, right? That you've got, like, Ron DeSantis, where he's like, I'm actually going to do it. And then there's Donald Trump, where he's like, I watch TV exactly as much as you, and I'm going to tell you everything that you just saw on it right back to you. So the idea of Christie as the the reasonable compromise candidate is, uh, again, one of those things where it's, like, such a good joke that it's actually almost impossible to laugh at. Because it's, like, it's real that he is, like, one of the more reasonable guys in there. And then, like, if you remember what Chris Christie is like, which is a guy who's saying, like, oh, what a tough guy from behind three security guys to, like, a school teacher. Like, that is not the reasonable alternative to anything. Well, also, you never have to worry about him being president, which is why it's funny. Yes, yeah. It's not like Ron DeSantis where I can be like, ha, 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 what a jerk. It has a kind of, I right. I hope he doesn't 
become president and enslave all of us. That would be bad. Yeah, it has like a hipsterish element to it that I enjoyed. Like I remember talking to my mom when she was she was in the uh, Amy Klobuchar hive back in 2020, and I was like, "Who wasn't?" It's like walk me through this. But, <laughs> but the Clement thing about Ron DeSantis, Clement, and I'm willing to be wrong about this. I'm willing to be wrong about anything, but not me. It, there's a little bit of uh, Miami Heat stuff going on here, where it's like. Uh, we've are we've seen them we've seen them like succeed when they when they weren't supposed to in our minds. So it's like now you're almost scared to take the opposing yeah. viewpoint. There's no reasonable argument to why DeSantis could be president. He's not charismatic. He's not interesting. And like yeah, this country is like sliding towards fascism, but it's still like values extremely superficial. Thing that was what people liked about Trump. Yeah, it's he was like, fun. Right? If you can, if you're fun, like people will just lie to themselves about who you actually are. It's like people still think Trump is like not the guy he says he is because like they like him, and you know nobody like wants Pivot. to like a a piece of shit. It's like no, <laughs> like I don't think anyone actually likes Ron DeSantis yep. other than like people who who vehemently agree with him, but. There's nothing like, oh, yeah, Ron DeSantis. Like, look at this new clip of Ron DeSantis that everybody... Yeah, like, he's really popping here. Like, you can feel the crowd's energy. He also, he plays up his own just utterly repellent personnel. Like, he had, like, the fucking Top Gov ad where he was like, rule one, do not engage with the enemy. And it was, like, just him at a press conference being like, no, no, I didn't answer your... I'm not going to answer your question. Your your (laughs) question sucks. And it's like... It rules that that's, like, his alpha thing is being like, ah, bah, 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 to some, like, local TV person when they're asking (laughs) him questions. Yeah, just getting bitchy and, like, people asking him questions. Uh, I will say this. I do think that there are sorts of people that could like Chris Christie because even, like, relative to DeSantis, he is not... Like, as a retail politician, like, I feel like this has always been, like, my line on Christie is that, like, if you were, like, waiting for a drink at a wedding and he was in front of you in line, you could, like, talk to him about the NFL for five minutes and it wouldn't hurt that bad. And I don't think that there's really that many people in Republican politics you could do that with. Like, I wouldn't like it. I don't want to, like, talk to him about being, like, oh, so you're, like, a guy from New Jersey that's a lifelong Cowboys fan? Cool. Like, I would not make eye contact with that person if I didn't have you know, to wait to get my gin and tonic. But well, like, it's the old Bush Gore, you know, who'd rather have a beer right. with sort of shit. But in this right? case, it's like you're lowering the standards. It's like, who, oh, yeah. Like, who could you be in an elevator with for a short period of time? That's basically what we're saying. I want to get to the stupid things, but I, I did want to note about Stephen A is that, um, you know, we, we're talking about him in the wake of ESPN had another round of layoffs. Uh, they're planning on launching their own street. Like, they're going to put all of the channel on streaming, which has the potential to... You know, it could kill off cable, and that's being very dramatic because cable will die sort of a slow, piecemeal death. But they are the most expensive. uh, They charge the highest carriage fee by far among cable providers. And Stephen A is essentially the entirety of that network now because they fired all their writers. And if you go to ESPN.com now, it's just... It's just screen grab shot. It's just screenshots. Like, yeah, of him a. talking about whatever is going. Yeah, on. Yeah, like Uber Uber driver gave me a hand job, like yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> like, and so it's like they need Stephen A to not die almost, like to remain solvent as a as a entire corporation. What is, at uh, least until Pat McAfee takes over. Yeah, yeah, that's totally right. They're paying him too, right? Like yeah, they they're actually paying him a did. lot. Actually, they paid him a lot to do to do his show, and I'm sure he will infiltrate College Game Day. But like, if they put him in the 
in the Monday Night Booth. I don't think they'll do that because they got Buck and Aikman, right? Yeah, they shouldn't. But I think he could be like useful. The thing with Stephen A, and I say this as someone who's always been pretty agnostic on his charms, you know, such as they are, is that I, the issue here is that he's overextended, I think. That like if he's always been like, he's like, Tom Cruise in the sense that if you like rev him up and have him run in a straight line, it's going to look amazing. But if you ask him to like have nuance or express ambivalence or like just give you information you don't already know or a take you haven't already heard in a different way, he's not really but a guy that does. But the point of his job that. is to not do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. And so like, but I think like you got to keep that siloed to the space where it's like like that should be like first take whatever it's not for me but it's for a lot of people so i understand that it's also it's a it's a pretty well-made show it is. i saw it but having before. him on like for instance the the nba broadcast and like at halftime and stuff like that he is taking value off the table for me like because he's i mean whatever not everybody wants like nuts and bolts basketball analysis but <laughs> do it's you want just, simmons back no i mean well it's funny i think it's my turn to talk <laughs> Our producer, Eric, is very excited. I did the shitty Simmons. There was some concern <laughs> that neither Drew nor I would be willing to do a Bill Simmons voice because we're in a room with two peers that we, we respect. <laughs> the idea of them watching our faces as they contort and be like, who's in your pantheon? It's well, also, like too it's much. Also, it's, it's a stolen impression. It's, it's Killer it Cow by far. Shout out to Killer Cow. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's time for the guy of the week. And you know what? We have to... Because we have two guests, we have to have two guys of the week. Because I had one in honor of you, Israel. But McKenna, on, on the Uber ride here, uh, you brought up a fantastic guy that I have to bring up again. So oh, wow. it's time for our guy of the week. Every week we remember an athlete of yours, not a Hall of Famer or necessarily. Two. But just a guy who makes you think, hey, I remember that guy. So the first one in honor of you, McKenna. Oh, wow. Is Scott Milanovich. Oh, wow. Remember that guy? Oh, you mean Todd Marinovich. Is uh, it, did no. I get a, No, it's not. It's Scott Milanovich is a different guy. No, it's Scott Milanovich. Yeah. You got your Vich, right? Oh, wait. Did I say Milanovich? No, I'm joking, dude. You didn't do anything wrong. Was it Milanovich or... You got it. The bro. Maryland guy. Yes, you got it right. This all goes in the podcast. This is gold. People are going <laughs> to love it. Do I have the name right? His name is Scott Panera. Yeah, he was a he was a problem. You're bringing up a problem gambler before problem gambling was boring. Yeah, he, had a, to, he had to work. He had to go he like, uphill at, both ways to bet on other ACC football games. Yeah. You, he had to get a bookie. Yeah. He, he wasn't. He had no internet. It wasn't like Jameson Williams just like in the toilet in Lions headquarters, like betting on like an NFL game and being like, wait, I was not supposed to do this. Like you didn't tell me I couldn't do this. <laughs> yeah. Now he would be sponsored by DraftKings. Yeah. He will absolutely be sponsored by DraftKings. So, Malavid, walk me through. Do you remember what it was that he, like what he was betting on in college games while I do, he was I, playing I college games? I don't remember games, the right? specifics. He, I remember he got suspended at uh, 1995, I think. I, I read, Did he get uh, suspended when he was at Maryland? At Maryland. Or when he was yeah, in the Maryland. And that hurt his uh, giraffe that it dumped him. He was like. Uh, Not a character guy. No. Not a character guy. Uh, in but, honor of you, Israel, our other guy of the week, it's a pretty easy one. It's Peter Warwick. Remember that guy, We didn't talk about Israel. Peter Warwick. I feel like Peter Warwick might have been the guy the last time you were on. He was wasn't, he? He wasn't the guy, but he did come up. All right. I believe. Well, because uh, full disclosure, Israel is a Florida State fan. And so I. Yeah, I went there and uh, I support the, the schools uh, sometimes. <laughs> you're so you're trying young enough that trying you, to capture my, you know what my I think or. I think it's perfectly fine to be selectively supportive of your alma mater. I do I would I do that with my own college. I think too. college football in, in requires you to be selectively supportive. A thousand percent. Do you have any treasured Peter Warwick memories? 
Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> he was like the coolest college football player I ever saw at the time, I thought. Yeah, my biggest memory is being in the fifth grade and uh, my dad being angry that he got suspended for stealing out of Dillard's. <laughs> what did he Free steal? Free Shoes University. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, oh. Him and uh, some, some poor guy who's on scholarship who took the fall for him. <laughs> Because that's how that's how college football worked back then. It probably still yeah, I was going to say back they've they've absolutely sorted that out now. Yeah, Nobody's yeah, yeah, getting yeah. Fr- that sure. is, yeah. So this is like he walked by stealing shoes from Dillard's. Yeah, so, he only got one game or something. Like yeah, that. but so that was what made it possible for Jameis to run by stealing snow crab claws from whatever it was that. Um, I remember Warwick, or whatever. I remember work mostly because it was back in the day when Lee Corso could essentially decide who wins the Heisman. And he always picked a motherfucker from Florida State because he was buddies with Bobby Bowden because he went to Florida State too. So that's how you ended up with fucking Chris Wanky yeah. and all these other puds. And Peter Wark was, won the Heisman because he was fantastic at Florida State. And then he, he went to the pros and it was one of those things where it's like, oh, it turns out you can't get 10 yards of separation on every play. Right. Yeah, that was yeah. always the, I always found it really disappointing uh, how his pro career never worked out. Him and, um, uh, what's his name from Florida? Uh, Chris Doring? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> from the from the Tebow era, I know because uh, oh, I was in I was at FSU at that time. I mean, God, the number the number of them. Florida wideouts who didn't pan out. I mean, we're talking. It is such a illustrious group of guys. We got Ike Hilliard. We got Redell Anthony. We got. Uh, I'm trying to think of who uh, otherwise... We got Chris Doring. <laughs> the issue with the Peter Wark type of player, I want to say that this is the sort of thing where, like, there's always with basketball, there's guys where you can be like, well, if they had, like, Mahmoud abdul Rauf in today's NBA, like, he's a totally different guy because they would use him different. Oh, shit, yeah. He'd be but, great. And I think, that's, I think that's true. I also think it's, like, me being old and needing something to feel sad about or whatever. But I think that the Peter Wark type of dude in college where it's just basically, like, he's so much faster and better at football, it, like, the running around with a football under his arm part of football than anybody else, that you're just constantly contriving new ways to get him the ball. I want to believe that that's like something that the NFL could solve for, but it hasn't. Every one of those guys has come out since. I mean, like, I remember like Dion playing wide receiver and shit. Like, that's like the closest in my lifetime to them actually taking advantage of that talent. In I don't the NFL. know if I agree with you. You don't think that that's the sort of thing where, like, no, because or I you th- think it's just that like Tavon Austin isn't that good or he's too little. I don't think or there's that many athletes for that. Like Dion, he's well, the Dion is, is an outlier because yeah. he's a like a freak's freak. No, but you score a 55 yard touchdown reception on a screen pass at mm-hmm. Atlanta versus Dallas. Yeah. No, but if you look at guys now like Debo and how the Niners use him, that is not that was not typical. Ten, I guess that's right. Twenty years that ago, a lot sense. more jet sweeps. They're lining up guys in the backfield. The Vikings will do that with Justin Jefferson, stuff like that. You got to line them up all over the field to fuck with the defense. And also because you're also taking advantage of I guess of I'm thinking of talent. like specifically how those guys would be like given a position on a football card, right? That like WR-KR doesn't exist anymore. But like the sort – or at least like effectively. Yeah, but, yeah you're one of the other because once they say we th- – Envision you as a returner. That means you have no. Yeah, hope that's of like being like you should chart. train to be a Yugo repairman or whatever. It's like a job that isn't going to exist in eighteen months. But I think, yeah, you're right that like they're being more creative with those talents. Maybe he was just maybe Peter Wark was just early. Time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. This one's for you, McKenna. This is from oh, Andrew. Wow. Of the, I'm not me. Of the four major men's sports leagues in America, Roth's good. 
absolutely chomp at the bit to answer this. Which one has the most weirdos per capita of the four major sports leagues, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, NBA? Which one has the most weirdos? Who, Man, you? I, you know, well, baseball, weirdo, baseball has the most like shocking, like Twitter has revealed baseballers to be the most, the, the highest percentage of, of fuckers, a holes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I have, it's not something I've studied, but, but my, anecdotally, speaking of anecdotal precedents <laughs> here, I'm ready. Uh, Give it. Yeah. I, no, I mean, like I, in Slack, I mean, how many days do you have to go before another baseball player exposes himself as a, as a psycho Nazi? It's a, uh, and like at, at the expense of their careers, like baseball players seem so much more willing than any other athlete to throw away their careers to get their hates out. And uh, so, I, like, why is that? Is it, be, is it because all the time talking to each other in the dugout and high five? I, I actually have a conspiracy theory. I want a conspiracy it. theory on that, but it is a an analysis of that, which is that baseball, especially American baseball players, that pool of players just during my lifetime has gotten not just much more white but it has gotten geographically much more homogenous and economically more homogenous because of the rise of like year-round specialization and travel team shit and so that a lot of these players are coming from not just from a few places like suburban dallas southern california florida suburban atlanta that like it's also they are the children of parents that have the money to get them private training to get them like you know to onto travel teams that play all year round so that it's like they're sort of being like professionalized in a weird way in the sense that like if you were to expand this beyond the four big team sports tennis players are maniacs <laughs> and it's because they go to like they're in some messed up private school run by like William Morris Endeavor in Bradenton Florida from when they're 10 years old and so like baseball players it's like they're reflective of the fact that they're from this like conservative and increasingly like psychotically conservative like series of milieus but also there it's like a self-selecting sort of group you know that like and that's true i think in a lot of other sports it's just that because baseball is so has that like uniquely maybe hockey has this too i think hockey has a lot of too. expensive equipment a lot of expensive training a lot of expensive travel and that culture sort of sorts for you know like a certain type of person israel do you agree I was honestly going to say it's soccer, to be honest with you, or football, you know, like... Soccer does have some odd balls. Yeah, soccer is full of maniacs, absolutely. And uh, I think that those are, but, you know, I'd be picking just like a handful of examples of my proof of that. I mean, that yeah, is... but that's okay. We don't need data. This <laughs> my, is a my friend, we are all doing We don't need, <laughs> so, we don't need don't... facts. Yeah. The, the, the subtitle of this podcast is we pull things at our ass. That's all <laughs> but... we do. That's my that's my entire writing career. Too. Do you mean like American soccer players? I just soccer in general. All right, really, I feel like soccer international, right like yet. Cristiano Ronaldo, to me seems like the most uncanny human being imaginable. Yeah, like I can't that. imagine that guy's life. The other thing about baseball and hockey, at least here in America, is that they are not, and baseball fans will disagree, but like they are not the people who end up being professionals. Really, aren't in college all that much. Right, they are in. Junior leagues, especially hockey junior leagues where, you know, from like age fucking 14, they're playing on a fucking a travel team in Iowa and right, shit. with a host family. It's like a really and weird so way like, to grow up. Yeah, it's a weird way to grow because you're just like with these other weird hockey guys and you have your own like languages and like like your own rituals and like you think like, you know, throwing like like 
like whitewashing like a, a fucking dirty diaper in each other's faces is like funny <laughs> and shit like that. And you just get warped because you're not like in a, you're not like, you're not with your family. You're not with like normal friends at a school and you're fucking stupid as shit. Well, that, that has happened to every sport ex- except for football. Football is the only sport where high school is the main recruit. Right. Recruiting this is such everybody. a crazy thing because as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, are football players actually the most normal Athletes that we yeah. have somehow, like because basketball is totally gone. That yeah, way. AAU, you have to have AAU. Well, well, yeah, because because G League Ignite too, because that you get more and more players coming out of that, and then uh, also we have to uh, we should note here that the Denver Nuggets won the NBA championship. <laughs> oh yeah, this week. And speaking of weird people, I like to imagine their oh, showcase oh. player. He won. He won the title, and then Nikola Jokic acted as if like he had just gotten like. A direct mail piece. Let's go, back, go back home and see my horse. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he's weird in that fun European way, but he's definitely weird. Super weird. I wonder how many, I wonder if you, if you Googled Jokic and the word doughy, how many results So, I, get. last night, did an image search, which I'm, I'm not embarrassed. Uh, well, I'm a little embarrassed. You sound a little Because you're, I'm, well, all right. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. Uh, the, uh, just looking for pictures of him doing his harness racing thing, because he, uh, loves that and there's a lot of pictures where if you re- enjoyed the like uh, fat guy in a little coat gag from Tommy Boy like there's a lot of like Jokic wearing a helmet in a harness behind a horse that it's like roughly the same size as him and it is delightful the fact that he loves harness racing to me as somebody that went to a lot of harness racing in North Jersey as a child and knows that like it's not fun <laughs> to watch and it kind of is like at least my friend's parents always said it was always fixed it's like a very funny horse sport. racing fixed no, but this harness racing especially because they don't even go that fast that was always what my friend's dad and would it has say. fat jockeys too like and they use two hands on the whip sometimes. yeah you're sitting <laughs> it's, it's not it is it is Pretty. appalling so the idea is an appalling that's where you enterprise. win an nba championship the world is at your feet and you're just kind of like i gotta get home to do that <laughs> it's just really like delightful to me last one uh, israel this is from keith hand soap that comes out pre-foamed is bullshit right <laughs> do you agree with that uh I guess so. If you're, if like your priority, I mean, I think it's it's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it is kind of like little ooh, thing, But I guess if your main priority is to clean your hands, like yes, yeah, bullshit. It's terrible. But if you're a it's lover mean, of innovation, I guess yeah. I mean, I, I think it's bullshit, but it's definitely like if if it's the only soap available, it's like, well, I'm not washing my hands. I'm not like that. <laughs> it is a little bit like almost associating disinfectant or something in your head. There's something, uh, it's like a perfect thing to like exist in this one because it is like both futuristic and like not good. Like it is the sort of thing where like if I, as a kid, if you showed me that, I'd be like, wow, does that make your hands cleaner? And like the answer is no, it does yeah, not. No. It just makes a little sound. You know what's much out. worse is the creamy hand sand where you're like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Like now I have to wash the hand sand off of my fucking hands. That was the whole point of this was to... Is I don't have a sink anywhere near me. I really me. enjoyed the few years that I spent thinking about that every time I left my home. I flew. I went on a plane today. I did not wear a mask. Wow. And now you're locked in a, a soundproof room with me. So that's very exciting. Wow, terrific. Well, all right. Time to... Yeah, it's time to leave. Eric Silver... Fumigate the room. Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude, whose studio we are recording this right now as we speak. And you can subscribe to Defector.com right now, too. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That number, Roth, is 909... That's, uh... um, 
Buka de Beppo. Yes, that's right. Exactly. We will see you guys next week. Israel, Dave, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you, man. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you, Multitude. See ya. Bye, guys. That was fucking great. That was good. Felt good.